Matthew chapter 7, we'll be reading this morning, verses 21 through 23. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. Then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Occasionally, as pastors, we find ourselves forced to preach on this subject. I think my biggest concern in the ministry is knowing that my congregation is saved. The Bible tells us of a group, not just a group, but in verse 22, it uses this word, many, uh, will say unto me, many people convinced that they're headed to heaven, but when they stand before God, they stand at the judgment seat, they'll hear these words, I never knew you. Can you imagine being deceived? Now, man is easily deceived. How many remember the name Bernie Madoff? Yeah, the one that stole, by his own confession, $50 billion from investors, confessed in 08, went to prison. That was a large Ponzi scheme, but when we're talking about deception, we would consider that a large-scale deception. But that's money. Many of us have been deceived out of giving people or investing in the wrong investments and found out later on it wasn't a good investment, but we're talking about your soul. If it's money, you can recover on some level, but if it's your soul, you're stuck in the eternal torments of hell. And when it comes to your soul, you just simply cannot be wrong. Now, how is it that so many people are wrong? Keep your finger here in Matthew 7. Look with me in John chapter 8. Here's the issue. There is a great deceiver named Satan. Verse 44, speaking of Satan, it says, You are of your father, the devil. The lust of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh, he speaketh a lie. He speaketh of his own for he is a liar. Look what it says. He's the father of it. Now, you have to understand Satan has a lot of experience. For thousands of years now, he has been deceiving people. He's been highly successful. Hell hath enlarged herself because of the millions that he has deceived. Now, if he deceived Eve, who was perfect when she fell, who was living in paradise, if he could deceive Eve and get her to trade that for a, a bite of forbidden fruit, if he could deceive Esau, get him to trade his birthright for a morsel of meat, we better pay attention because there's a good chance he could actually deceive one of us. Now, Here's the problem when it comes to Satan and his deception. We don't understand. His greatest method of deception is through imitation. So we think that we can look, listen, hear, and identify the deception. But the problem is we're comparing light with light. The Bible says he's transformed, Satan has transformed himself into an angel of light. So when you're looking at Satan and his fruits, when you're looking at what he does, it's not always easy to tell if you're dealing with the real thing or with a fake. It's hard to tell. Let me give you a rose. 
I'm sure your husband will not be upset by that. But the problem is, unless you observe very closely, you can't tell the difference. To the naked eye, we would think, well, it's all the same. Well, some is and some isn't. Some is fake, and I was fortunate enough to get the real thing. <laughs> but others are not so real. A real grape will not bounce like that. <laughs> to the naked eye, there's no difference. Now, here's the problem. Matthew chapter 13, and we've talked about this text before, it speaks of the tares and the wheat, and that for others, it's impossible to tell the difference between the two. So we can be deceived by someone else and think that they are a follower of Christ, a child of God, when they're not. But there's a greater deception called self-deception because Matthew 7 isn't dealing with you being deceived by another man's behavior, but rather them deceiving themselves. The fact that these people were so self-deceived that they stand before God absolutely convinced we have eternal life. Now, can you imagine the horror having gone your whole life convinced that you have the truth? You know the truth. You have a ticket punched to heaven. And then when you stand before God, you give your reason, you give your argument, you give your explanation only to hear these words, I never knew you. Now, Satan has dozens of lies. Man has believed many of them. All one of Satan's biggest lies. If hell does exist... You're not bad enough to go there. How many of you heard someone repeat this lie because they believe it? Preacher, I don't know if there's a hell. I hear this almost weekly. I don't know if there's a hell. But if there is a hell, God is too loving. God is too kind. God is too gracious. I'm not bad enough. You believe the lie because that's not what the book says. The book says you are a sinner. We are born in sin. And all it takes is one sin. The wages of one sin is death and hell. Heaven can allow one sin. God can allow one sin in his presence. So they've believed this lie that says, well, you know, God is so good and he is good. He's so good. He's so gracious that he sent his son to die for your sins. That's called grace and mercy. That's called love. So he is loving, he is gracious, he is merciful. But Satan has sold a lie that says, if there is a hell, don't worry, you won't go there. Others simply believe there is no hell. How many have bought that lie that death is just the end? Well, there's a problem with that too. The Bible says, as is appointed, a man wants to die. And after this, there is an after this which is the judgment. How many millions of people on this planet are convinced, the majority, I would say, are convinced that as soon as they die, that's the end? Why worry? But Why be overly concerned? Oh, there's a small risk, but most likely when I die, that's my last breath, that is the end of my existence. Now, suddenly, when they're on their deathbed, that thought changes. 
They stop believing that lie. They start believing in the possibility of life after this life. And how many times I've gone to the hospital to find people in a state of desperation. But Satan's lies are so good. The most common lie is this. There is a heaven. Most likely there's not a hell. But if you work hard enough and do the right thing, this is what religion is based upon. Our religion is basically one religion. You work, you do right, you do a good thing. If you're, some say baptized, some say speak of Jehovah. They all have different requirements and restrictions, but it's the same lie. Which says if you're good enough, and the Bible shoots down that lie repeatedly. How much clearer can scripture be in saying that salvation has nothing to do with works? Salvation does not depend upon your righteousness. Now, obviously, the lie of the devil, look what it says in verse 22. When these people hear the words, I never knew you, what was their argument based upon? Good works, self-righteousness. Did any of them say we've been born again, we've been clothed in the righteousness of Christ, we've accepted Christ as our Savior, we've repented of our sins? Was that their comment? Their comment was, we've been good. Now, in this chapter, you know what we see? Two ways, two roads, two destinations, two trees, two houses, two foundations, two fruits. One is the right fruit, one's the wrong fruit. One's the right foundation, one's the wrong foundation. One's the right destination, one's the wrong destination. But it's a matter of God's way or man's way. God's way or Satan's lie. But look what they said. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, in thy name cast out devils, in thy name done many wonderful works. So they thought, my salvation has something to do with works. That is Satan's lie. That's a broad way. That's a way of religion. That's the way that most men are trying to get into heaven. There's only one problem. Go back with me to verse 13 and 14. Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, broad is the way that leads to destruction. Many, there are many on that path, many trusting in their good works, many that have believed the lie of Satan. Verse 14, straight is the gate, narrow. How many of you have ever been accused after having witnessed and after having told someone the only way to heaven is through Jesus Christ? The, there's one door, there's one way. John 14, 6 says, I am the way, Jesus Christ is speaking. I am the way, the truth, and life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. How many of you have ever quoted that verse and said, had someone look at you and say, you are narrow-minded? You know what? This book is exclusive. Salvation is exclusive. And the way into heaven is so narrow, you can only go one at a time. And you go through Jesus Christ. But they believed a lie. They didn't take the straight narrow. Now, it's so narrow that most actually miss it. It's, listen, Satan has so confused mankind, so deceived man that you could knock on thousands of doors, talk to millions of people, and you'd find out most don't believe this book. Most have believed Satan's lie. Maybe a different version of the lie, but most have believed Satan's lie. You know why? Verse 15. 
Beware of false prophets. Satan is a liar. Everything he does is fake. Everything he does is false. And he has the help of false prophets. Just as God has true prophets, Satan has false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ravening wolves. Look what it says in Matthew chapter 24. Keep your finger here. Christ is talking to the disciples about the last days, the end of the world, the second coming. Look what it says in verse 4. Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no man deceive you. Well, there's a problem. Satan is active. He has many false prophets helping him, and their message is extremely palatable. It's not offensive. You know, and as soon as you start talking about this book, as soon as you start talking about hell, as soon as you start talking about sin, as soon as you start talking about not being good enough, as soon as you start mentioning Bible terminology like condemnation, you know how churches are growing in this day and age? They have to get rid of biblical terminology. Preacher, you cannot speak of condemnation. You cannot speak of hell fire. You cannot speak of eternal torment. Well, Christ spoke of those things. This Bible speaks of those things. And a false prophet will eliminate those words from his vocabulary to have a more palatable message. Look what it says in verse 5. For many shall come in my name. Many. You know, you can turn your TV on and you'll find more false teachers than true Bible preachers. I wonder how many churches you would have to visit this morning before you would hear a clear presentation of the gospel. I wonder if a lost person without Christ, without any knowledge of Christ, how many churches he'd have to visit this morning to actually hear enough Bible and a clear enough presentation that he could understand and get born again? You know why? The false teachers outnumber Bible preachers. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ. They shall deceive many. Verse 11, many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. Verse 24. For there shall arise false Christ, false prophets, shall show great signs and wonders insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. Now, here's the amazing thing about these false prophets. They're great orators, very convincing in their speeches. What they say is very motivational. Satan, the deceiver has recruited false teachers and convinced millions and billions of people to believe a lie. And this world has never been more self-righteous. This world has never been more convinced. Listen, literally, you find them on every corner, people are absolutely convinced that they have the truth, not because they know this book, they've never even read this book. You can talk to people about the time they want to tell you about truth. They can't even locate Hosea in the Bible. They don't even know Malachi is actually a book, one of the 66 that God wrote for mankind. 
You know why? Their truth is based on an emotion. Their truth is based on Satan's light. They've bought it hook, line, and sinker. And one day when they die, in their confusion, they will stand before God, convinced they have the truth, they've known the truth, and that they have entrance guaranteed into heaven. Now imagine this. Millions, billions of people stand before God. Hundreds of religions are represented. But people think, I'm safe. I'm okay. There's Baptists, Methodists, Pentecostals, Mormons, Buddhists, Muslims, Jehovah Witness. Convinced. There are preachers. There are prophets. There are evangelists. There are Bible teachers. Churchgoers, deacons. Lifetime members standing there thinking, I'm going to heaven. Only to hear these words. I never knew you. You know the problem with this? Go with me to John chapter 14 for just a minute. This deceiver, Satan, who has false prophets preaching a false message, they create... A false peace. How many of you remember the tsunami a couple years ago in Japan? We'll talk about that in just a second. John chapter 14, verse 27. Peace I leave with you. Now there are two types of peace. There's a peace that comes from God. There's a peace that comes from ignorance. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be Afraid. Now, let me ask you this. Those people in Japan that died, over 15,800 people died in March of 2011 when that tsunami hit. Another 3,800 are still missing. So we can say nearly 20,000 people, many more were injured. Many lost their homes, their cars, friends, relatives, every earthly possession that they had. But the day before that hit, they were living their life as peaceful as they'd ever lived. Little did they know that they were about to face the worst storm, the worst consequence, the worst and the most tragic event that they could ever possibly face. But they were going to work with perfect peace. If you would have told them tomorrow your life tragically is going to end, Tomorrow, your wife is going to die. Tomorrow, your house will not even exist. Tomorrow, they would have laughed. If you would have said, you need to leave, you need to run, you need to drive to safety, you need to evacuate, they would have said, why, what? The news hasn't said anything. There's been no official announcement. So they lived with peace, but it was a false peace. You know, we have all across our nation in churches this morning, there are millions of people with a false peace because they believe Satan's lie, and they think, I'm safe. There's no way I'll be hit. There's no way I'll be affected. There's no way I'll go to hell. I'm a church member. I'm a good person. I've made a profession. Now, if you read your Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the gospel, matter of fact, the Old Testament, New Testament, you'll always find this. In the kingdom of God, there are two types of people, professors and possessors. Even in Christ 12, there was a professor, Judas. 
And three years later, no one had even picked up on the fact that Judas was a fake. Matter of fact, at the Last Supper, Peter leaned over as John was leaning on Christ's breast and he was nudging John and saying, John, hey, ask who the, who the one is that is going to betray. They didn't even know. They couldn't even identify. After three years with Judas, they could not even identify a flaw. They could not identify him as a fake. Go back with me to Matthew chapter 7. Now, what is the difference between a professor and a possessor? Undoubtedly in a group this large this morning, there are several people that are self-deceived. If we were to stand, if this body was to stand, this very group were to stand this morning before God, regrettably, we would hear these words. I never knew you. Regrettably, there would be people in this congregation that would be cast into the lake of fire, and some would bring shock to every face here. Because in every group, there are both professors and possessors. Look what it says in verse 24. That house will collapse. That lie will crumble. Verse 24, therefore, whosoever... Heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I'll liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon the rock. The rock of truth, the rock of God's word. The rock is identified early in the verse when he says, Heareth these sayings of mine. That's the word of God. He hears those sayings and he does them. He's built his house upon the rock. The rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew, beat upon the house, and it fell not. It was founded upon a rock. Everyone that heareth these sayings of mine, and doeth them not, should be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. The rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat upon the house, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. You better make sure your source of truth when it comes to principle, especially when it comes to the principles of eternal life, you better make sure your source of truth is not a feeling, not a religion, not a tradition, not an emotion, not an opinion. You better make sure it's based on this book. When you find the truth, the Bible says, you shall know the truth, the truth shall make you free. And in the same book, he says, thy word is truth. Here's what's not being proclaimed in this day and age, this book. We have opinions, great orders, tremendous speakers. Listen, you can sit in the average church this morning and leave so emotionally pumped that you feel like you can jump a skyscraper and lift a thousand pounds with one hand. You'll feel so good about yourself, energized and convinced you're the greatest Christian on the planet. Here's what you better do. You better find a place that preaches this book the whole counsel of God that tells the truth and speaks as the oracles of God. Now, here's what we know about the truth. Go with me to verse 16. The truth will change your life. How can you tell the difference between a possessor and a professor? Well, think about the very word professor. What's that mean? It's all talk. Have you ever seen people that speak more religious jargon than this generation? 
talk about the radical love of God. How many believe in the love of God? How many believe the love of God will cleanse you from all sin? How many of you have experienced the love of God? That love will change your life and everyone around you will notice. But they won't notice by the way you talk because you're trying to convince them that you're a Christian, how spiritual you are. They'll see it in the radical change in your life in the fruit that is produced through the Holy Spirit. They'll see it in daily living, not because you can sound like a Christian, talk like a Christian, and profess to be a Christian. Look what it says in verse 16. Ye shall know them by their fruits. Here's, oh, people don't like this. This is a New Testament text. But non-denominational movement doesn't like this. You're judgmental. You're just judging on the outside. Uh, pretty much. It's a pulpit. It's not a pulpit. I would say it's a pulpit. How many are in agreement? You bunch of judgmental Christians. How can you tell that's, that may be a shark? You can't tell by appearance. Appearances are deceiving. It's what's on the inside. What's on the inside is revealed on the outside. And God said, by their fruits ye shall know them. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? How many know anything about trees? That's what I thought. I don't either. Now, if we got out here and you started talking to me, whether that's a pine, an elm, a birch, a cedar, I'm not going to argue with you. But if we go to someone's backyard and there's fruit on that tree, I'm willing to put my reputation on the line at that point. That's an apple tree. You know, when it comes to fruit, I'm pretty smart. It's not an apple tree. I guarantee it's an apple tree. How do you know you don't know anything about trees? Well, thankfully, it's fall and there's fruit on the tree. Now, if it was winter, I wouldn't have an idea. But we can go over there and pick that fruit. It smells like an apple. Yep, it tastes like an apple. It looks like an apple. That is an apple tree. Here's what people try to convince. Preacher, I'm a Christian. Let's see. You don't smell like a Christian. You don't walk like a Christian. You don't look like a Christian. You don't talk like a Christian. But you're only, the only thing you have is a profession. No fruit. Did you go back to Matthew 7 and see what the emphasis is on? He that heareth these sayings and doeth them. You know what a Christian is? A doer of the word. You know, we have a generation of, of people, not Christians, people that are filling our churches. And on Sunday, they come for an emotional experience. But on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday, their private life, as soon as they're out of the scene, as soon as they're not noticed, as soon as they're not being observed, there's no Christian fruit at all. Yes, they can look real under certain circumstances. I'm a Christian. You can look real. Went necessary. You can deceive people at first glance. There's only one problem. Having deceived the entire world, even your own family, even your own husband or your own wife, even your own preacher, doesn't help you at the judgment seat. God's not going to applaud and say, Wow, you fooled everyone. Matter of fact, I'm giving you an A plus. You 
tricked everyone for 80 years. I'm going to give you a pass and let you into heaven. There's no benefit of having deceit. Here's the problem. That deception becomes self-deception. And here's what you see. When they stood before God, they had done such a good job of deceiving people that they'd soon deceived themselves. And they're adamant in their argument and saying, we have cast out devils. We have done many wonderful works. We should gain entrance. And he says, I never knew you. Every good tree, verse 17, bringeth forth good fruit. Have you ever seen a good tree bring forth good fruit just on Sundays? That fruit is constant. It's consistent. It's every year. You don't have to concern yourself with an apple tree ever producing pineapple, bananas, or grapes. Right? You know every year this tree will bring forth apples. But a corrupt tree, now how many people have tried and listen, there's nothing worse, more difficult than trying to fake the Christian life. But how many people have tried to produce plastic fruit? Well, I'm a Christian. People think I'm a Christian. And the Christian life is a struggle. It's a struggle every day of the week. Because the Holy Spirit, listen, I cannot produce love, joy, peace, long-suffering, meekness, temperance, faith. I can't produce those things. But I know the Holy Spirit can produce those things in me and through me, and I would go insane trying to produce those things of my own self. I'm married. I pastor. I have kids. I have a job. I have situations that I find myself on a daily basis where I need patience, where I need uh, to exercise temperance, where I need to be long-suffering. That's not in my nature. But thank God I have a Holy Spirit inside of me producing that fruit. There are people here right now, I hope you're uncomfortable. That's the purpose of this message, to help you get uncomfortable, so uncomfortable that you get past your self-deception and say, my battle is for salvation. I believed a lie. Uh, I need to get born again because, listen... In this life, why battle every day and struggle to prove you're a Christian? If you're a Christian, it's not a struggle to prove it. There's a spirit living inside of you, producing fruit. And if you fight the Christian life, a struggle, a battle, you hear those things, but you have a problem doing those things. You know something about these two houses? They look the same by all appearances. They look exactly the same. Same walls, same roof, same windows, same area. Same Christian company put up the two houses. But there was a difference in the foundation, and one crumbled while the other stood firm. A good tree cannot, verse 18, bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. You know what your problem is? Your struggle is you cannot, as an unsaved man, bring forth good fruit. 
I can't get past these desires. I can't get past these habits. I can't get past these thoughts. I can't get born again, and the Holy Spirit will help you with that. The Holy Spirit will produce fruit. Now, Brother Dave planted a tree in my yard. I'm a little bit nervous. I talked to him yesterday because we had another tree planted in that yard, and within 18 months, we managed to kill it. I mean, dead or in a doornail. Bad investment. You know, we just have the touch. We can take something green and turn it brown within a matter of months. We've done it with plants. We've done it with flowers. And now we did it with a tree. So I asked Brother Dave, would you study this out, figure this out, and bring us a good tree, and let's see what we can do. And he, he surprised us in December, brought us this tree. Well, I don't know what to think. I'm really confused because we have the gift of killing things that are green. And this tree, literally, within a month, has grown over a foot, maybe two feet. It's just growing all over. And I said, listen, we planned that thing close to the house. I'm fearful the way that thing's growing. It'll be 30 foot high by the end of next year. And he said, no, don't worry. It'll be okay. But it's amazing to see the growth in that tree. Something has to have life to grow. And something must have spiritual life to grow fruit. I guarantee no matter how good Brother Dave is with plants and flowers and trees, if I gave him this stand and said, Brother Dave, you know what? Would you do me a favor and plant this thing? I'd like some apples by the end of this year. And I got some good soil, good ground, fertilizer. We'll water that thing every day if necessary. We'll do whatever's necessary to make sure that thing's producing it. Apples, grapes, oranges, whatever you can get it to produce. You know that is a useless effort because that is without life and cannot produce fruit. And there are people, no life, trying to produce fruit. They've believed a lie. Now, let's see in 1 John, what is the fruit? Three things that John said are the fruit of a Christian. If you are a child of God. Now, here's the problem. Satan is false, he's a liar, he's a fake. Everything that he does is false and fake. He has false teachers with a false message, producing false peace and creating false professions. In my lifetime, I've watched pastors get saved. School teachers get saved. Bible teachers get born again. I've watched people that grew up in church. You say, preacher, were they lost? Absolutely. There are some here. There's no fruit. Your only fruit is carnality. Your argument is never in favor of the word of God, but always with the word of God. There's no happiness found in the things of God. There's no pleasure found with the friends of God. But your happiness, your pleasure is in the things of this world. Look what it says in 1 John 1, 5. This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you. God is light. And in him is what? No darkness at all. Now this principle alone will change your life. When you understand God is all light, no darkness, we live in a very dark world. You turn on your TV, you can see the darkness of man's nature, the darkness of man's mind. They laugh at everything God condemns. They laugh at adultery. They laugh at rebellion. They laugh at immorality. They laugh at homosexuality. They laugh at nakedness. They laugh at perversion. 
That is darkness. There is no darkness in God. Verse 6, if we say that we have fellowship with him, and most would say that, although most do not have that fellowship with him, but if we say that and we walk in darkness, here it is, we lie. Why did Christ rebuke that crowd in John 8? He said, ye are of your father the devil. He was a liar and you are liars. So if you say, I have fellowship with him, you walk in darkness, you lie, you do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. The blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. Here's what's amazing, that people can come to the house of God. Here's why you won't feel comfortable, because there's a lot of light in this place. When there's a lot of God, there's a lot of light. Now, people will come to a situation like this. Professors will come and try to feel comfortable. But the light makes them feel uncomfortable. Surprisingly, you can feel very comfortable watching garbage on TV, but you feel uncomfortable around the preaching of the Word of God. Remarkably, you don't feel comfortable in the presence of eight or ten Christians sold out, dedicated, love God, want to do right, but you feel very comfortable in a party setting put on by your work where people are cussing and criticizing everything that's good and right and holy. Remarkably, you can come and pretend to be someone you're not on Sunday while on Monday in private you're doing things you know if they were ever caught would be scandalous in nature and bring great shame to you in the name of Christ. You walk in darkness while professing to walk in light. God says that's a lie. Your life is based on a lie. Your salvation is based on a lie. Your profession is a lie. Because when you know God, you live in truth, we hear all the time that someone else in the name of Christianity, in the realm of Christianity, that's been revealed that they were not who they claimed to be. They're pastoring and whether it's drugs or alcohol or sex or homosexuality, suddenly it's revealed this person is not who he said he was. You know why? He claimed, he lied, he professed, but inside something else was going on. We're not talking about old man, new man. We're talking about two people living under the same roof. Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Someone who comes to church to give the appearance of salvation that can talk the talk and will become adamant in defending themselves. Listen, your word should never have to defend you. Your life should be your only self-defense. A life of light, not darkness. Look what it says in chapter 2, verse 3. Hereby do we know that we know him. How? Not because we say it, not because we profess it, but because we keep his commandments. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, he is a what? Who is his father? 
the devil. He is a liar and the truth is not in him. Now, folks, this is not rocket science. We're talking about fruits. Matthew 7 doesn't say by their fruits, God shall know them. God says by their fruits, ye shall know them. He says that someone that's a child of God, someone that's a born again believer, someone that is repentant of their sins, they have the Holy Spirit living inside. You'll be able to identify them because they will not be forced to keep his commandments, but they will seek, they will enjoy. His commandments will not be grievous. Look what it says in chapter 3, verse 10. In this, the children of God are manifest. Now many say, many claim they're, they're children of God, but many are the children of the devil. Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God. Did you get that? You know what we have? We have this new generation of Christianity that says, don't worry about holiness. Don't worry about his commandments. Don't worry about any of that. Live your life. Have fun. Please yourself. Walk in darkness. Guess what? You've bought a lie. You've believed the devil. You are living deceived because when someone is a child of God, I'm not looking for ways to avoid his commands. I'm looking for ways to please him. His commandments are not hard. His commandments are not grievous. I'm not frustrated by church attendance. No one had to wake me up, make a phone call, make sure I'm in church. If I had my way, we'd have church on Monday and Tuesday. If I had my way, we would be New Testament Christians. Have you ever read about New Testament Christianity in Acts 2? And every day, that's biblical Christianity. If I had my way, now I can only convince Brother Ouellette to come on a Monday and Tuesday. I, if I had my way, I'd have him come Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday and Sunday and say, you know what, let's just go two weeks. But some people, I already go Sunday morning. You want me to go Sunday night too and Wednesday? That's, don't you go to work Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and often on Saturday? And you'll drive an hour and a half to work. You'll brave traffic for that. You'll put up with a boss that hollers at you in a much more personal way and still go back the next day. But church is grievesome. And the pastor's too mean and the message is too long. Let's see. An hour at church is too long, but you can handle eight, sometimes 10, sometimes 12 hours. Some of you work 24-hour shifts. Can you imagine if we pulled a four-hour church service? What kind of carnality would come out of this crowd? In this, the children of God are manifest. And the children of, devil, of the devil are manifest. So that means there are two groups. Children of God, children of Satan. In the same building, attending the same church on the same Sunday morning. Whosoever, now that's not talking about whosoever doeth righteousness on the church in Sunday morning. Oh, you can behave yourself for an hour. Because you're provided with 350 people helping you be accountable. So suddenly, your dress is right, your speech is right, your face is right. 
We're not talking about the righteousness of Sunday morning. We're talking about the righteousness of Monday night. The righteousness found in your marriage, the righteousness found in your home, the righteousness found in your child rearing, the righteousness when you're on the job surrounded by a lost world, the righteousness in your thought process. In this are manifest the children of God and the children of Satan. Look what it said in chapter 3, verse 14, and we'll be done. We know that we have passed from death unto life. How? What's the fruit? We love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother, he abideth in death. Now, we could read this chapter, these next few chapters, just full of scriptures repeating the same thing. Matter of fact, it does this all the way. Read uh, verse 18. Let's fast forward. My little children, let us not love in word, neither in truth, tongue, but in deed and in truth. Don't walk in a lie. Verse chapter 4, verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. Everyone that loveth is born of God, knoweth God. He that loveth not, knoweth not God, for God is love. Verse 11, beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. Isn't it funny that you claim to be a child of God and you find it difficult in your heart to love Devin and Sarah, Ruthie and Brittany? Matter of fact, if you think about it, there's only about four or five people in the whole church that you can truly love. You know what the problem is? Preacher, the problem is everyone in here has defects. No, the problem is you probably need to get born again. Can you get born again? You can love just about anyone. We ought to love one another. Verse 20, if a man say, I love God and hateth his brother, he is a liar. Here it is again. Who's his father? The devil, he's bought a lie. He's not born again. He doesn't have one of the fruit. Listen, I'm confused. I'm confused about a Christian that calls himself a Christian, claims to be a Christian, and doesn't like Christian fellowship. Well, that's just my personality. No, that's a salvation problem, not a personality problem. Brother Jose never wanted to spend a minute with Christians before he got saved. And then he got born again. And suddenly he can spend, that man back there spent 12 hours with Nate Johnson and Dave Hoffmeister and enjoyed it. Now explain that. That's inexplicable. No, you know what that is? That's called the presence of the Holy Spirit that unites him with other believers. It's amazing. We can travel. This past week, I preached in New York. Here's a church of 450 people, and I took our college group, and our college group immediately is fitting in with it. It's as if they'd been born and raised in the same church all their lives. The natural fellowship that takes place in between believers. You know why you don't feel natural around other believers? You know why you only feel comfortable around carnal Christians? You're not saved. You're not born again. If any man say, I love God, hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? And this commandment have we from him, that he who loveth God, what? going to love his brother also. Let me say this when we're done. 
this morning, I cannot separate the wheat from the tares. I cannot tell between the saved and the unsaved. I don't have an uncanny ability or a special glass that I can put on. But here's what I do know. I do know biblically there are always a mixture in a church environment of both professors and possessors. I believe the possessors outnumber the professors, but I would say without a doubt, if we were to take this congregation right now, stand before God, regrettably, we would hear what we read in our text in Matthew chapter 7, depart from me, I never knew you. And the same shock that filled those faces will fill faces of millions of people Yay, independent Baptists, people that have come, assimilated, even professed. But he that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth. There's a fruit produced by the Holy Spirit. There's a spirit that compels you to do the right thing. And if your life is all about arguing with the word of God, you're not saved. You don't have the Holy Spirit. The Christian life will be a struggle. The Word of God will not be a pleasure. Prayer will be a hassle. Why would you risk your soul? Don't you think hell is awful enough without going there knowing? Can you imagine the torment of hell knowing you sat under the truth and never got born again? Here's the truth. Verse 11 of chapter 5. This is the record that God hath given unto us eternal life. This life is in his Son. He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that ye may know that ye have eternal life. Folks, you have sat in this church. You have heard from teachers and preachers. Last year we had Rick Dawson in who was a pastor for years before he ever got born again. That's my wife who sat under his ministry both as a lost preacher and as a saved man. I said, what did you see? She said, the difference was drastic. He was performing, trying to produce plastic fruit every day. Pride restrains them, they're self-deceived, and then one day stand before God and say, God, remember what kind of Baptist I was. And God will say, depart from me, I never knew you.